0: Hi, and welcome back to the Virtual Cold Chain Summit here at FreightWaves. I'm the executive publisher here, Kevin Hill, and we're going to talk about site selection and kind of what trends and challenges are involved in that process with David Hickey, Managing Director of Hickey & Associates, which is a global site selection firm. Thank you for joining us today, David.
1: Thank you. Honored to be here and excited for
0: the conversation. I am too. I am too. So for, for those out there who aren't quite familiar with the term site selection, can you give us a, a brief uh, background in what Hickey & Associates does? Absolutely. So it's a
1: great question and question we get often. Uh, what do we do for a living? What does a site selector do? And what we do, and, and as a firm, we've been doing this for, for almost 40 years is helping our clients navigate the world to find that most optimal location for their business. Um, historically, at the beginning, much of that was on the industrial side. Uh, really, those types of projects, many of the projects and, and you know types of investments you've been discussing at this, at this conference, um, but it's really to figure out all these different factors in mind, where is that best place going to be? Real estate is, of course, a core part of it, but all the other elements that drive that strategic decision.
0: And there are a number of different elements that, that do that. And when we're looking at cold chain and new cold, cold chain facilities or uh, rehabbed cold chain facilities, it's um, it's it's a it's much more difficult than, say, a normal dry warehouse, right? It's an expensive project. It takes a lot of uh, financial investment, a lot of time, a lot of forethought. How does it differ than, than really any other site selection? For companies out there, well, it's certainly a decision that it
1: needs to be strategic. You need to do the due diligence in figuring out where is going to be that optimal location, because as so mentioned, there are all those different elements that come into play, and, and they do differentiate. And, and how? So um, you have infrastructure. You you need to have the infrastructure that is going to support it, not just anything from a, a freight or uh, trucking and roads and access, uh, but also from energy. Uh, What kind of power, what are those utility needs that you're going to need that are bespoke to that site, to that facility, which perhaps a a dry warehouse, other e-commerce may not require into that facility? And also, what is that reliability? Uh, Certainly a facility that needs to be powered 24, 365, and needs to be in place. Um, But... Besides infrastructure, there are other, like labor and workforce. Mm-hmm. Um, we are at a, a time where in 2019, we were going into 2020. It was the most challenging time ever to find employees and to find workers in most of the country, really all over the world. We are now to today coming out of a pandemic that it is actually harder for, for many roles, for many in this, in this unique and niche industry. Uh, that are also finding it and finding those great challenges. But we also have to look at business, cl- climate, different costs, different operating costs, real estate costs, those utility costs that come into play. What is the overall business friendliness of a particular market, particular state, community down the line? Um, what are just other strategic bits in the community? And is it going to be that right place in the near term? Are you going to have that support in the long run? Um, among a number of other factors we'll, we'll talk about as well. But really, some of those... Core pieces and, and many that again differentiate cold chain from some of the typical um, other industries.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of variables, and you listed that quite quite a bit. I mean, you have to have labor, the utilities, uh, the, the strategic location when, within your distribution network, and all those three has to be married with business friendliness of the, the state or municipality. What kind of tax breaks you can get? What kind of of well Taxes in general, uh, and in cooperation with those those others, you know, labor, utilities, all of that is a, a cooperative partnership in a lot of ways. Yeah,
1: absolutely, and and you hit a uh, right on the head too of one of those core elements that we didn't, I didn't even mention, and that is the overall supply chain. You know, making it really as a given that the logistical elements and, and the overall supply chain to be able to work because. Uh, a, cold, a cold facility needs to be, have the, you know, you're in, you're out, your customers, uh, your your sources all need to be in place and need to work well. But when we're talking about site selection, you know, that is, again, of the factors that are important to make sure in every project is going to be weighted, it's going to be looked at differently, those core criteria might be different, from what those drivers are. Um, but when we talk about the community, people itself, we do projects, over 400 projects a year. And many of those will come down and we'll do all the different math and the science and, and different models to help prove out what that is. And, and it'll come down to maybe three locations, three communities will be very close to one another. And we ask, you know, what is it that what put it over the edge? And many times, it is just how that company felt within that community. And it's, it's of course, the incentives and tax credits and, and property tax payments and things like that, utility rate riders all along are, are incredibly important and important to the, to the business and, and to the financial modeling and to be able to make it work. But it's also about knowing that that support is going to be there um, when there is an issue, when the power does go out briefly, or, you know, maybe there's a, a curb cutout that's going to be required in the future or a, a right of way that needs to be um, uh, installed in, in the next two to three years, knowing that you're going to have that community support later down the line is incredibly vital and important to success of any facility, especially in the cold side.
0: It definitely is. Uh, what, what kind of changes are you seeing right now when it comes to site selection? And, and let's so let's just have two variables at this point, uh, fitting within the, the strategic network that has been changing since the pandemic, with the rise of e-commerce and migration patterns as well. And municipalities or, or states or, or local governments and their their friendliness are, are those coinciding together, or are those creating? Uh, a more riskier environment. Yeah, it's so uh,
1: major threats when we look
0: at site selection overall,
1: and especially in the logistics, supply chain, and, and well into the cold side. Um, you know, those core elements that are that are all out there is is the infrastructure side. You know, it's it's what are these incentives? What are some of those financial elements? The costs, of course, the supply of land of facilities you know, that being there, and of course the challenge all over the country today. And will continue to be at least uh, certainly into the near term. Um, but what we keep coming back to, and the number one trend that continues to go is on the people. And it's it's the ability to get the people to get the job done in the near term and as well into the long term. Um, you know, we look back at our industry even less than 10 years ago. Most of the time when we talked about the workforce, we talked about costs. You know, we talked about, you know, where can we find the workforce that's going to fit within the financial model? And it's going to work into the, to the long term. Well, of course, that is still an important and critical factor. Now we have to start with, are you going to be able to get those individuals, that workforce, where you are today and forecast that five, 10 plus years out that you will be able to sustain that into the future? And as we look into that and build into it and putting in all different types of utilizing AI and social media metadata and, and even using data from who's like Uber um, to be able to find some of this information uh, and, and in real time. Um, but it's also what if scenarios, what if a large fulfillment comes in nearby um, within proximity, how will that affect the overall workforce and overall pool? And when we look at what, where we were before the pandemic and where we came, um, well, where we are today, we'll say uh, those migratory patterns and shifting, and we saw incredible um, changes from markets like in New York and LA and Chicago and some of these big cities, we saw other markets that saw growth, like a Phoenix, a Dallas, a, a Jacksonville, Florida. Um, but there's others that, you know, it's, it's really unique. And we start building into that itself. Right? I look at South Florida as being one of those, uh, Miami. Um, many, you know, a- anecdotally, you know everyone from New York is, is moving to Florida, um, was a, a big storyline and, and um, you know, much of that to South Florida. Well, if you actually look at the data from 2020 where we are, there are actually less people living in South Florida today than there were in 2019. Um, and a lot of that is, is major demographic shifts and other shifts that happened and a pandemic happened. Um, and also, actually, just in that case in point was a, as immigration. Um, you know, we weren't able to have some of those typical immigration, especially skilled um, immigrants in, into this country. Uh, and the United States is, is impacted countries like Canada. It's even a much greater impact. Um, and some of that is being felt in the cold industry um, and across the board because that struggle to find workers where it was a challenge before is even greater today.
0: It, it is. I mean, we talked about this uh, about a week ago in our in our first call about migration patterns and lack of immigration over the last uh, certainly 12, 15 months because of the pandemic and how that how the, those ancestral um, type of everyone's leaving California, going to Texas, everyone's leaving New York, going to Florida uh, or, or, or Arizona. And and seeing that or hearing that in the news quite in, quite quite a bit and then south florida has less people living in it than they than it did a year ago uh makes it makes it very hard to predict a lot of these trends is that the hardest thing predict, hard is that the hardest trend to predict uh, going forward right now whenever you're looking at demographics and kind of a really site selection for the, the the cold chain network
1: you know it it, it is and, and it, it it's a great challenge and something that, that, you know, we are working on, we're investing in, we're innovating in every single day to, to keep trying to build new models, build new AI, um, new tools that we can to, to help project, and help forecast. Um, but of course it's, if we live in an uncertain world, we're going to live in an uncertain world for, uh, for the foreseeable future. Um, we didn't uh, even though I think some of my colleagues might, have said we did not predict the pandemic uh, to be here in 2020 and, and to create some new challenge. But but what we do is we continue to learn from it and, and learn what is driving. Um, you know. it. And, and part of it is, is to create the ability to de-risk the situation where possible. So to do this due diligence in advance and, and really put in a strategic vision that if something were to occur, it, would you be able to staff that facility? Would you be able to maintain power? Um, Would you be able to get goods in and goods out in the time that needs to be done? Um, You know, we talk about workforce, the the overall supply chain impact that we felt last, not even in March and April, but that we were feeling in January and February of 2020 as you know, as the the pandemic was striking across Asia and we saw the immediate jumps and impacts. You know, how does that help down to the local level and deploying a lot of the tools and methodologies of site selection allows you to help really de-risk those situations to be able to try to build that strategy and, and forecast. I don't have the crystal ball right here though. But um, you know, certainly, with the tools um, and the methodologies, you know, we can can build towards that direction and help with that overall site strategy.
0: Yeah, I mean, we we're talking about de-risking, and and that adds in adaptability and flexibility into supply chain and site selection and your distribution network. Uh, talking about that, I mean e-commerce and the rise of e-commerce certainly over the last 12 or 15 months probably has a, a lot of um, you know people in the cold chain companies that that offer cold products, whether it's pharmaceuticals or fresh produce or frozen goods. Uh, into quite a quandary of how to adapt and be flexible to changing consumer habits. Uh, what, what are you hearing out there in the market uh, from uh, companies that that are, are involved in that?
1: Yeah, and, it, and it's it's a great question, and it is it is a challenge. It's a quandary for for many companies out there, and many that are working to invest in the space. And many um, on the e-commerce side, it might be you know just building that shell and having a shell there and you know and and to work and flex and, and go in and hot off the racking and everything but when we saw you know in in the cold side you know where there's a much heavier investment that comes into play and it's at site work it's at site development so so doing that due diligence and is said not looking at the you know, only thing we talk about a lot is, is on the cluster side and there are some businesses out there and and across industries it, it can be very bespoke but that wants to be clustered within other like users or like competitors um, in the sense. Let's go back to the workforce element. So um that is not always a good thing because you are there in a place where you know a market could be saturated. Um if you look at a map, just overall e-commerce, and of course, as cold chain being a part of it, uh, but you look at a map of Atlanta. In fact, you can just look at Atlanta from a satellite view and you can see where those concentrated areas are. So then what we do is we overlay where. Are the workers and you know, where do the workers live today? What are those commute tolerances? What is that opportunity for them to travel? And you know, what is that competitive base going to be on a wage front, on a reliability, attrition, productivity, all those different factors into play? And where is that location going to be? And um, to be able to market out, and it's pretty incredible to see. And, and then again, that de-risking side of it. So as they're looking, um, you know, could they be in a place if it's already saturated? And what happens if a large user comes in, if a large fulfillment center um, Mm -hmm. comes into the mix? And, and, you know, what is that going to mean and what is that risk going to be Uh, And being able to build out? And whether that's, um, you know, certain redundancies, it's it's getting far enough out from a particular market where maybe you're not um, competing as to be an employer of choice, um, but to be able to get the access. But it comes back to the migratory pattern and this demographics and all those different factors as well.
0: So to sum up the conversation for site selection, David, can we assume it's not as easy as just drawing an X on the map and plowing through it? It is definitely more challenging. Uh,
1: there's more data, more insights, and more strategy going into it. But it is something that is attainable. It's something that that can be done. It's a proven process. Um, you know, there's there is an industry out there, and many of my peers have been doing this again for decades. And learning through it and and as more technology and as we innovate and and we develop, Um, but it is, and we see it, you know, a critical piece to make sure and make certain that that investment is is not only going to be successful in the near term, but in the long term as well.
0: Thank you so much for your time, David. Uh, it was a pleasure speaking with you. I, I could speak, I, I could talk to you for another half an hour or an hour uh, about this topic, uh, but, but I encourage our audience to reach out uh, to David directly and learn more uh, about site selection. And with that, let's toss it over to our next fireside chat.
1: Great. Thank you.